Welcome to Grazed in America podcast. I'm your host, August Horstman. jump into the e-commerce side if if that works cool yeah i think that will yeah. be pretty beneficial okay so it sounds awesome my name is bo graves uh i am located here in uh central ish utah more, more northern central uh in a little city called santa quinn um we're just south of salt lake and uh, i've lived here my whole life Grew up uh, in Orem, Utah, and then uh, I can't stand people, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I just keep moving further and further south away from people, uh-huh. and uh, which is further and further away from my job, unfortunately. But that's okay. We uh, we really enjoy kind of having a slower place, a slower pace, and a little bit quieter than having to deal with a bunch of people. So, yeah. And where do you have to commute for work then? Yeah, so I commute um, just under 100 miles round trip a day. Um, so I, I go from Santa Quinn into Lehigh, which is literally the most southern city to the most northern city of the county. Okay. Um, so and it takes me about 45-ish minutes each way. Okay. So you're going north then, right? Correct. Yep. Sounds good. And then what is your, we touched on it, but uh, when we were kind of right off the bat, but so you're in an e-commerce business, right? So I'm actually in uh, advertising and marketing. That's what I do. Uh, it's my bread and brother. I definitely started on the e-com side, um, okay. but we do marketing and advertising for anyone from, uh, f- I would say funded startup. We don't do a lot of low budget startups, mostly because they can't usually afford our agency services. Okay. But we do funded startups um, that are kind of in that hyper growth mode to uh, all the way up to enterprise clients that are, you know, billion dollar organizations. So, okay. And so you're advertising and marketing. So that is that like through social media, all lines of plat, like all radio, newspaper, or, or... yep, every platform. So, literally from uh, any type of social media, um, any type of radio, print, billboard, uh, yeah, any print, whether that's newspaper, magazine, um, we we place ads anywhere you're looking to get ads placement. Mm-hmm. Um, we do sponsorship placement, um, and then... Um, and then, yeah, and then we do the full range of, of marketing as well. If you're needing SEO, which is kind of my roots, that's what I, I, uh, that's what I started and emphasized in was more of the search engine optimization. 
um, back when it was the Wild West of search engine optimization. Uh-huh. Uh all, all the way up to, um, you know, we do complete social media marketing um, and everything. So our agency is what we would consider a full stack uh, marketing and advertising agency to to be able to do it all. Typically, um, most most agencies will do like one or another. They're they're usually like just a traditional shop or just a paid advertising, like a, a PPC or you know, just a social shop, but we literally do it all. That's kind of our USP. Yeah. And so you said up to million and billion dollar companies, right? So. Yeah, correct. So it's all, it's not all just in Utah. It's all across the. No, sir. Yeah. All across the country. Yeah. I get to work from, I mean, all across the world. We actually have international clients as well. Oh, cool. So. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's literally everywhere. So from like a farm marketing advertising standpoint, you know, like for the people with meat businesses or vegetable farms, I mean, I'm guessing there's probably not too many of those people that are your clients, correct? Uh, not typically. No, we're, um, we're usually working with, uh, um, I mean, most of the time they're more mid market. Um, the, the smaller, uh, smaller clients or partners as we call them are, are usually like if they're, if they're in that phase, you know, we we can certainly support them, but like I said, usually they don't have the funding because we're yeah. we're a boutique startup. We're we're a little bit more on the um, expensive side of a blended rate when you're paying us per hour. Mm-hmm. And so you know, for for a super small um, organization, it would be pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. and so it's more maybe like butcher box t- size per se. Totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Butcher box or, um, yeah, that, that size for sure. I mean the, the subscription model, we've done actually a few of them. Um, not, not, uh, in the meat side per se, but yes, we've done several of those subscription boxes. Yeah. So, Maybe we could tie some of what you do into ideas for farmers or, uh, you know, meat producers. I mean, what are you like from an advertising standpoint? Let's start with, I guess, advertising. What, where do you think dollars should be spent? Let's just, we'll just take, you know, my farm and, uh, like what? Where should somebody like me, you know, processes a few cows, few beeves a, a year, um, and looking to grow? Like where? What should I do with my advertising dollar? Yeah, it's a really great question. So, you know, typically what that life cycle looks like when they when they come to us. So the the difference in our agency than any other agency is we provide 
um, a senior level strategist that really helps guide the strategy. That's, that's ultimately what I do. That's my team that I oversee. And so we call it a, we, we call it a fractional CMO role, which is essentially like most organizations, um, that are in that mid market or, uh, even, you know, even smaller can't afford a CMO. So that strategic vision on the marketing side sometimes is, is lacking and there's not marketing subject matter experts inside of the organization that can kind of drive that strategy. So they come to us looking and asking a lot of times for the, that very question. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll come and ask and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're interested in where you guys um, think we need to be putting our advertising dollars or marketing dollars. What, uh, what should we be doing? And so we, we do a full evaluation of the organization, try to understand what, um, where they're putting their dollars, what kind of um, returns they're seeing, uh, how are they, um, you know, what's their go-to-market strategy? What does it look like from a from an end customer standpoint? Who are we trying to target? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're if you're focused on Missouri and local delivery versus, you know, being able to ship nationwide, you know, we would want to, we would want to understand what does your, what does your market look like? Do some market research, try to understand who you're trying to target mm-hmm. um, and who are we reaching with the marketing that you're already doing, right? And so usually with that, we also try to tie in goals like, come to you and say, August, what, what are your goals for the year? What do you want to try and, um, what do you want to try and sell and how much can you sell by the end of, you know, Q4 2023 or looking into next year, what's your plans for next year? Are you able to, to do, you know, 20% more next year? Okay, great. Let's figure out the marketing to make sure that you can sell 20% more next year and be able to get that 20% growth year over year. Mm -hmm. So we try to back into your goals and understand what that looks like and then put together a plan to say, okay, um, how are we permeating marketplace? How are we getting your message and your story and, um, and what makes unique you unique and your product unique to your customers and how are we getting that across to them? And, you know, sometimes that looks like, uh, well, we just need to boost some stories. We need to actually run, you know, boosting stories is a great way to get your message out there and showcase, you know, something that you, you're doing, how you take care of your beef, how you, um, you know, what 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 is rotational grazing in a lot of cases like for you guys especially in the regenerative agriculture market you're trying to tell a story you're trying to educate uh the community and educate the population because most people don't understand what regenerative agriculture is what the benefits of that are right yeah so we've got to tell that story so that we can actually get them to want to pay a premium and support local and you know why they shouldn't just go buy their beef from the Walmart stores. So 
that's uh that's essentially like what we're gonna we're we're gonna look at is you know you could take stories to start boosting education then once you've boosted that education to those folks and you've got reach then let's do a remarketing campaign with an offer let's put a remarketing campaign back in front of them a retargeting campaign it's called remarketing on the google side retargeting is what the rest of the the world calls it but uh you put together a retargeting campaign inside of facebook or google or however you uh, mm-hmm. uh you want to drive those folks and um, you get an offer in front of them or you get sometimes you have to build the funnel so it's not an offer maybe the next one is uh i don't know if you'd want a bunch of people showing up your farm but maybe it is maybe it's hey come out for our customer appreciation day so that you can see what we do mm-hmm. and you drive them out to the farm and and show them what you do so that you can you know you can further educate that that end customer right yeah and so Ultimately, you know, we we would help you build that funnel. We try to understand that. And sometimes that can be just organic, mm-hmm. you know, marketing. That's, that's you uh, putting together content, whether that's video form or written form or white paper, or whatever it is. Yeah. So you put together that content and then you uh, go and advertise that content to the world. And so, um, you know. If if that means you're not getting a big reach because maybe you don't have an Instagram following quite where it needs to be in your marketplace, right? You might have a lot of followers, but are they in your are they in your market? Are they in your mm-hmm. three county area that you're willing to deliver to? Yeah. Or you know, so if they're not in that area, then we're not getting the right message to the right people. So we need to do some targeted advertising for that. And that's the beauty of a lot of these digital platforms, right? Whether it's Google or Facebook or whatever, is you have targeting zones, you have targeting areas, geos that allow you to be able to, to, to get to those folks. Okay. So, um, boosting stories. Well, look, I'm just going to cover just a few things you said. Boosting stories. That's boost by boosting something that is paid. You're paying for, basically more of your followers to see your story. Is that correct? You're, you're paying for targeted reach. Okay. So it allows you to be able to choose, um, your area, your location that you want and, and interests and people mm-hmm. that you want to target with your message. Okay. So I think, you know, a little bit about, um, uh, the cowboy poetry um, group that I'm a part of, and I'm on a committee for a gathering. And our gathering each year, you know, we're a super small gathering, right? I'd consider us very much not a, a funded startup. We don't, we're not funded at all. Um, we're funded by our committee sometimes, actually. But, uh, you know, what what we do because we are such a small um, startup we're we're going into our, our third year now. Um, and we have limited funds at the beginning of the year um, planning for the next year. 
we try to decide what kind of advertising budget that we want to put into it. And we always set aside three to $400 of advertising specifically for Facebook Mm -hmm. because we can get such targeted reach in the location that we need to and get eyeballs to the folks that we need to as well. Yeah. And, you know, and, and again, it doesn't have to be, you know, I, I have clients that are spending, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars a month on, you know, those digital platforms, but it doesn't have to be that you can literally spend two, three, four hundred $400 over the course of two, three months and get a pretty good reach targeted reach, especially if you're talking, trying to target two, three counties. So I see. And do you feel that that's, I mean, I guess, like you said, you're so targeted with that and you can kind of pick and choose uh, and custom make those ads how you want them or who sees them. Do you, I mean, like our, our newspaper and ads, like a local paper, is that still, I mean, a pretty secure way to reach people? Or do you see that kind of each year going, you know, that kind of viewer ship and subscription going down? You know, I, um, every paper is going to be a little bit different, right? The audience that's actually going to be reading the paper. And, mm-hmm. and my, my, my question, like if I was to go and put something in the paper, I'd want to talk to uh, the director of distribution or whoever it is that's in charge of trying to understand the analytics because they'll have viewership analytics and they'll tell you who are they reaching. Oh, is I it see. mostly 65 to 85 year olds or is it, 50 plus with a newspaper or are you actually getting that 20 to 35, you know, uh, range to that's, that's interested in that. Um, you know, there you, you'd want to understand who their end customer is Mm -hmm. with a newspaper in particular before you actually go and purchase a newspaper side of it, because, you, again, you want you want to understand kind of who that end customer is. The thing that I will say that I totally believe in, and it's very much because of this uh, Cowboy Poetry Gathering that I'm a part of, guerrilla marketing still works. We print posters and flyers and we get them everywhere. So, you know, if you could find an adjacent industry or someone like that, um, you know, for you guys, a lot of your end marketing is, is, uh, farmer's markets. So, you know, taking posters and flyers to farmer's markets and product, of course, but, you know, are there, are there maybe other businesses, um, boutiques, uh, that sell Western wear or, or like anything, it doesn't have to be that necessarily. Um, because it's not just folks that wear Western wear the EP, but any, anybody that would be willing to have, you know, your flyers and posters Mm -hmm. because you need an attention grabber, right? You're trying to be disruptive and sometimes billboard is cost prohibitive. So, or Facebook advertising is cost prohibitive. So it's really expensive to get a lot of impressions 
that way and, and try and be disrupted that way. So you have to do it in a different way. And that's, you know, print, you can print several hundred flyers, you know, for 50 bucks yeah. and take and, and get them everywhere or posters and hang them up at stores, stores that are, that are maybe interested in also uh, supporting regenerative agriculture or care about where their food sources come from and things like that. So all of those types of things work on the print side though. My recommendation is try to understand who your audience is and does your, does your end audience fall into that category? And Mm -hmm. then if it does or it can, um, thinking through what you're going to have to do with that message. Is it just um, a message of buy beef today, XYZ pricing, or is it a message of here's why we're different, why our beef is different, come find out, you know? And you want to try and figure out what that offer is and how you drive them because, you know, again, the education side most of the time is required um, to try and help folks understand why you're different, why they shouldn't just go and buy their beef from Walmart yeah, or the box stores. Yeah. Sorry. I keep calling out Walmart. Oh, you're fine. But box stores in yep. general. <laughs> nope. You're fine. Um, so from like a, let's say print ad or a poster, you know, you, you get, you put your ad in the paper, you fi- you find out or you figure out that's the route you want to go, put your ad in the paper, or you want to try, you know, making some posters to hang up around, you know, the kind of the stores or places you feel your customers would be at. Do you put like one of those digital business cards, you know, on it or a QR code? where they just hold their phone up and, and access it right away. Or it seems like, you know, they'll, it seems like you walk by, you see it and you're going to have to get your phone out to either take a picture of it, right. To remember it. Yep. Uh, so do you go ahead and, and put a QR code on it or do you? Yeah, I'm a big fan of QR codes. Um, they were almost dead until COVID and then COVID kind of re-energized them, right? Because everybody went to QR code menus and Mm -hmm. it became like part of our life again. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and and to be fair, like the, um, you know, whether you're an Apple guy or an Android guy, the, the phones now have a natural way to scan a QR code before you used to have to be able to, you have to download a software or something and it's just so easy now. So QR codes, uh, when so many marketers thought they were dead have made a resurgence. I, I actually prefer them. I think they're a good user experience. It allows people to be able to, to quickly get to something or source something that they're looking for. And so if you were to do, if you were to do a poster, I would for sure say if it's a poster just hung up at a, uh, at a store or something, QR code for sure. Right? I would, I would give the people an opportunity to scan right to a QR code. And and if I'm sending them somewhere, I want that QR code as a marketer. I want that QR code tracked. 
So in my QR codes, I actually put what's called a UTM parameter in there. So the the UTM allows you, and and you can uh, you can actually build a UTM URL. So let's say you have a you have your own website. If you're just selling on barn to door and sending people to barn to door, it might be difficult because the tracking isn't going to help you as much. Yeah. Um, but if you have your own website, you're running a free version of Google Analytics, um, and you have a way to be able to track where people are coming from, where you're getting your traffic from. Uh, you you can actually put UTM parameters in that uh, QR code. And you can scan it and you can find out how many people are scanning those posters. Yeah. And so it makes it really nice to be able to understand, are my posters actually providing an end result for me? Are they providing me an ROI? Um, mm-hmm. could be, it, it, it is possible to track that all the way through to a sell if they're purchasing online. If they're purchasing from you over the phone or at, uh, a market or things like that, it's going to be a lot more difficult to find out if that poster provided results. But, um, you know, Facebook ads, uh, definitely scanning and tracking. Like if you have your own Google Analytics platform yeah. to see how much traffic you're getting, you can actually track that all the way through to a cell in most cases. And that that's super important. It gives you, <clears throat> there's uh, there's an old phrase that's like, uh, you know, I basically it, it the it's I don't I'm paying for marketing, but I'm not sure what part of my marketing is working for me, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's the nice part of digital. Is digital is kind of taking that away. If you just do a lot of traditional and traditional only, um, it's hard to know if your traditional is actually working for you, unless you're asking people. Did you see X Y Z poster? Or what brought you here? And that's that's really great. Like, I as a small business, I would absolutely be asking that. If you get a new customer that hasn't purchased from me before, you ask them, how did you find out about me? How mm-hmm. did you learn about me? Was it a referral? Was it my marketing? And, you know, start tracking that stuff. When you're done talking to them, start making notes of, hey, another person saw the billboard or another person saw my poster yeah. or another person saw it in the paper so that you know, where your where your marketing is coming from, and you can actually put an ROI back to that. You could even say bought a half, bought a quarter, bought a whole beef, whatever, so that you can start to understand a little bit better how many dollars you're actually getting from those efforts, and then doubling down on those efforts is the is the key. That's growth, right? Mm-hmm. Figuring out your growth strategy is figuring out what's working, and then putting more dollars into that growth strategy. Okay. Um, so with a QR code, would you want to, right? There's a fine line, right? You want them, you want to get a sale, but you also want them to, you know, smash that subscribe button or hit the like, right? Or the follow. So do (laughs) you put a QR code to like a link tree or do you go straight to your website? I mean, yeah, that's a great question. Um, for sure. I, I, I mean, if you're not running analytics and you care less about analytics, I think it's a great option to run to a link tree and you give them, give them the option. Hey, follow me on Facebook, follow me on YouTube. If you run a YouTube or go to my barn to door, if you don't have a website directly 
Um, and yeah, the the problem scanning them to a link tree is once they're to a link tree, it's a choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's no there's really no way to drive someone into a single CTA. So in advertising, it's best practice that you want to drive someone into a single CTA or a call to action, right? Yeah, and you want someone to take whatever that very specific surgical action is so that you can get them into your funnel. And so that's, that's typically our recommendation is, Hey, drive them right to whatever you're trying to get uh, them to do a sale. <laughs> and then yep. and an offer a sale. It doesn't have to be just a sale either. Sometimes it's just an offer. Like I said, maybe you're trying to get them out to an event so that they can see, so you can educate them and, and get them there. Or maybe it's, um, Maybe it's a, a maybe it's a smaller offer, right? Instead of buying a whole beef, maybe it's you know buy three ground beef, get one free, or something like that to try and to yeah. try and at least hook them instead of just getting them to buy you know two thousand dollars worth of beef. Yeah. So send them. So you like in my scenario where it's parts and pieces, right? Send them to. Yep. Send them to the website. They can see ten dollars off your first order or something like that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, how many years have you been, been doing this? So, uh, I am, I'm coming into, let me see here. I'm coming into 17. 17. And it's probably really changed from, from when you first started, I guess. Right. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> when I say I started in the wild west of uh, search engine optimization, I'm not kidding. It was it was crazy. Um, we just, I mean, what what people were doing to try and quote unquote trick the search engines, whether it's Google or Bing. I mean, back then both existed, but you know, there's 100 percent of there's a huge disparity to Google, right? They own 95 plus percent of the search market between Google and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they, um, but yeah, people would try and, you know, again, they're trying to optimize, but in that, in those days they were trying to trick and still are people, people are still trying to figure out how to, trick Google, but at this point, there's no trick in Google, into um, getting them to rank them better, right? So they were trying to get better rankings for their for their website and uh, doing all sorts of things like, like hiding text by changing the color of the text to match the background. But when you could actually, when you actually hover over and scroll over the text, you can see the text. I mean, just like crazy stuff that's super bad user experiences but trying to um hide your content so you can get it optimized by google none of that stuff works anymore but um just crazy things like that is is what was happening in those days and you know really bad link schemes for trying to get backlinks to your website and all that stuff has been crushed by google updates um that happen pretty regularly but yeah, there was some really, really bad advertising and website optimization happening when I started. So, <laughs> huh? I mean, and then 
then social media, right? And that's probably changed it then again. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, like I said, so I'm, uh, it was 07, um, when I started and, uh, Twitter was a nobody at that point. Facebook was still coming into its own, you know, and, uh, and you know, that social media, I mean, it was, it was still this weird thing. There was, there were some other platforms out there. MySpace was dying at that point because Facebook was coming on so strong. And so, yeah, social, social media was so different uh, back then. And even how we use social media was super different. There wasn't, there wasn't a huge uh, proclivity towards advertising at that point because social media platforms hadn't figured out how they were going to monetize yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they knew how they were going to monetize. They just hadn't built the platforms to be able to do that yet. Yep. And then, you know, once you have your user base, of course, it becomes inherent how you're going to make money. But, um, but yeah, I mean, social media was teeny tiny when I started. Uh, and then, so like a, look, we'll kind of circle back to farm my size. What, what should we be using? Facebook, Instagram? I mean, do we need a Twitter and a LinkedIn presence and a YouTube and all that? Like, where is the, I mean, I guess the pretty basic is at least a Instagram and, and Facebook, right? Both free, just to yeah. get that, you know, start with that. Yeah, so I use this term. I, I try to indoctrinate everybody at my uh, agency on on my lifestyle, but um, or my my. Uh, the lifestyle I, lifestyle I yearn for, but I, I tried to get everybody to understand what are your watering holes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I always say you need to think about where, what your watering holes are and who you're targeting and is, is that audience there? So is your audience that can afford what you offer um, so you do parts and pieces, so anybody, right, can buy from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you only sell halves and holes, only certain people can afford that, right? Yeah. And and so you've got to think about who is my end user and are they there? And certainly, you know, um, in most cases, anybody could be anywhere. But you need to think about like, who is my audience and, you know, are they going to be following me on Twitter? Are they going to be following me on Facebook and Instagram? I would say don't bite off everything, especially if you're doing a one-man show or a two-person show because it's better for you to curate and consistently speak to an audience in one place Mm -hmm. if you can do that regularly if you try to bite off five different platforms you want to do youtube you want to do facebook you want to do twitter you want to do uh tiktok you want to do instagram that that's so much work to do it well right i mean sure you can take the same video and post it on every single one of those platforms but it's not the same when 
you're not trying to speak because you speak to those audiences on those platforms so yep. differently. Right. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I would say, um, think about who your audience is and, and don't try and kill yourself. Like if, if you've got 20 people that are following you on YouTube, just let YouTube die and go to your, 1400 that you have following on Instagram, right? Um, if, if you've got bigger, if you've got a good audience that is engaged, that's, that's one of the keys is to try and find out, is your audience engaged? Are you getting comments? Are you getting likes or are you literally just getting, you know, views and that's it? No engagement need to think about what you're doing and maybe think about uh, going through and finding some of your better engaged posts and try and reinvent those posts mm-hmm. uh, to see if it works. And if it works, maybe you find out people really love, you know, learning or maybe they really love seeing specific shots on the farm or, they're interested in you speaking when, you know, if you, if you do a video or uh, you educate and talk about, you know, your product and uh, the difference and things like that. And so I, I would highly encourage going through and evaluating your content and trying to understand what, what content is actually getting engagement and then trying to reproduce new content that follows that same architecture or structure of that content. Yeah, it seems like when using Instagram or Facebook, from my personal view, I mean, you people can go look at my page, right? And, and yep. when you do, hit that subscribe button or like or whatever, the follow. But, you know, from if you go through and look at my posts, it's the posts that's just basically a picture and maybe a few words are the ones that get the most views and engagement. Totally. Uh, and then are there, and it definitely, like when you want a, a call to action, right? Uh, uh, you know, we've restocked inventory or, you know, sale. You know, we're having a sale. I mean, those get the least views and the least, you know, and the least interaction with. And, I mean, so there's something there, right, where Facebook is controlling that. Are there, you know, do you know some of those buzzwords that, to stay away from? Um, you know, it is, it's so different in, from every platform business audience mix to another, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes sale, like I've got, I've got a client that is direct consumer. They sell apparel and bed sheets and things like that. When they do a sale, those are the most engaged posts. Really? And it's mostly because they have an audience that's been trained that their product is expensive, but when it goes on discount, everybody consumes it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's the algorithm that is – uh, that's picking up on those terms and, and not serving it to your audience. It could be sure. Like yeah. there's, there's potential for that. Right. I mean, I, 
nothing <laughs> nothing phases me with big tech now uh i'm sure i'm sure that happens but um and that could be because they're trying to drive they're trying to drive you to go and boost it right i mean if you want to get on the conspiracy side of it they're trying to get you to use ad dollars to push your content mm -hmm. but um but if you have a big audience like this other client of mine does and they have a big following when they do a sell they get a very engaged post because they've you know they've got an audience that wants their product that watches for those sales to happen and when they do they come and purchase yeah and so you know, from from your standpoint, um, in some cases, you know, it, you talked about earlier how you have it's just a picture and words, and you know, those are some of the best engaged posts. It's a few words and just a picture of a really pretty sunrise or uh, you know sunset or you know one of your beautiful mom cows or something like that, yeah. and it gets a lot of engagement. Well, in a lot of cases, it's, is that because people are relating with you mm -hmm. and they're relating with that image and they're, they're engaging with that image because of that. Or, you know, if you're really small in some cases, have you curated an audience that's family and friends mm -hmm. and, you know, they're, they're relating with you because of that. But then when you put on a sale, they're less engaged because they've already bought from you, you know? And so there's, there's those types of things as well. It's like, you need to, you need to kind of think through each one of those posts. And so, you know, I, I, I think, um, especially with, especially with advertising and social media, you, you want to provide value, value, value. Like most of your posts need to be value. Mm -hmm. And then you very specifically take advantage of uh, sale content or CTA content. Or when you're trying to get your user to make, to create an action, you know, those are probably more few and far between. If you're just, if you're just constantly hammering your audience with sales, sales, sale, buy, buy, buy. Your yeah. audience is going to be very used to all they ask, all they, all they're trying to do is ask and get from me versus give, right? Yeah. And if you're if if you're the business owner, your job is to give, to give and give them content, give them education, and then every once in a while, you you know you stir in that twenty percent off, ten ten dollars off offer. And, you know, it's more of like a 10 to one versus a one to one, or even all you do is sell content, which I've seen. Yeah. And that's, that's not anybody's fault. A, it's, you know, maybe lack of understanding of the platforms and audience. Um, and then B, uh, I just don't have time. I'm a business owner. I'm running a farm. I'm a one man show. I've got so many other things to do and man that one post is i just need more people to buy from me well that's that's a mindset right if if that's if that's the mindset you're in um and that's the place that you're in it's a that's a really tough place to be and i, I don't blame you for just having to put a post out there to try and drive more engagement but i can promise you 
if you get to a point where you can do a lot more education and you actually show your audience you care about them mm-hmm. by the content you produce, you're going to get better interaction once you've once you've educated them with your content. Yeah. And then once you're ready to ask for them to buy from you, um, you're going to probably get a better, it's going to be more well-received at that point. Yeah, I see. Like I can hit, like on like you talked about a relatable post, right? Thirsty Thursday, right? I do it from my personal yep. page. That that hits. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but it got to the it pro- does, right? point. Yeah, so like every, I think everybody thought that I was taking all those pictures like on, thir- you know, like Thursday or I would, yeah. I would take you know, like that. I had, had an issue. Right. So I've, t- I've toned those back <laughs> just because of the, <laughs> because of that. But that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I've got a buddy that runs a, he runs a barbecue, um, Instagram and, uh, you know, he's posting barbecuing and cooking like every day and, I'll never forget. Everybody just thought he didn't even have a job. They're like, man, you're just like cooking every single day. He's like, listen, I cook on the weekends and I don't do anything during the week because I have a full-time job too, you know? Like, yeah. it's, I'm not just taking those pictures that day and posting them. That's not how this works. So, but you, man, I love your Thirsty Thursdays. I think they're great. So, Well, thanks. I've uh, toned back on them just because I didn't want to give people the impression. <laughs> it was just me just... Uh, drinking all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I was going to say it's, it's fun. Like that, that creates, you know, again, that's a re- your audience relates to that. Right. And you've, you've been pretty diverse in what you posted too. It's not just always beer or not just always, you know, yeah. uh, your teeth almost so beautiful, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally, uh, that's that's a great way like it's a fun it's a fun way to create and curate content and it shows a little bit of you and it it becomes relatable and the thing the reason that i would say keep doing it is because you know people can think whatever they want to think that's that's their prerogative we know the truth and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like if if you have somehow driven a user to your page and they start following you and and they really enjoy your unique Thursday Thursday posts over time at some point they're going to be like man I really want to give this guy's beef a try because I do a Thursday Thursday post but I do five posts in between or you know, six, six posts in between that also are additional education. And man, his beef just sounds so good. The things he's doing to, um, you know, to make sure that my beef is clean and it doesn't have any, you know, yeah, GMOs in it or anything like that, that eventually you're finally going to convince that person that they want to give it a shot. And that's, in most cases, especially if you've never had um, clean beef before, mm-hmm. you can taste the difference, right? There's yeah. absolutely a difference in richness, um, and that's all it's going to take. It's going to be the best ribeye they ever bought, or it's going to be, you know, 
yeah. the best ground beef tacos they've ever made or whatever. Yep. So should I switch? So I've been making it like I've kind of been not necessarily associating certain things with uh, with my – I've been trying to post a mix on my personal and business page. Should I kind of drop the personal page and more focus on those type posts on my business page than you think? a really it's a really great question um a lot of people this is this is where it gets really tough because mm-hmm. again there's there's uh people have a natural tendency to want to follow the human over the business yeah because you can relate to the human if that makes sense. Yeah, like right? pictures so, of, like if there ever is a picture of me that surfaces on my business page, right? It, mm-hmm. you know, those those hit too. Totally. Totally. Yeah, because it's relatable, right? Yeah. And and so the the business side, and I'm not saying the business, the business side can't get can't get a following right because it it absolutely can there's a um have you ever heard of glenn elzinga yeah um so alder springs right they're in Mm -hmm. they're in idaho and alder springs page gets a ton of following right and a lot of it is the type of content that they post for sure um the aspirational cowboy stuff is what a lot of people love and love to follow. Right. Yeah. And so, so again, their, their page is a, it is a, it's a business page. It's not just a personal page. Um, and it, it gets a ton of following. So again, my, my point of like business versus personal, it's, it's difficult to say because in some cases, it can work really well for you to have a page that gets a good following and it, and a lot of it has to do with the type of content you're posting. But in a lot of cases, like, um, uh, there's another example, uh, Jill Winger. She's, um, I, I actually wasn't super familiar with her, but she does homesteading content. Okay. Um, and she was on the herd quitter podcast and I heard, uh, I listened to her podcast. It was really interesting. Uh, she's now got to a point where she owns, um, she has a, um, even a restaurant that they're, they produce their beef for and sell and, uh, and sell their beef in their restaurant as well. And, uh, she's, she's grown this huge enterprise and it's, it's amazing what she's doing, but she has a lot of homesteading content and a lot of people started following her purely because she was, again, she was just education when it started. And, you know, after that, um, she started with a blog as well, clear back in like 2007, 2008, and then grew it into Instagram, of course, which is where if, if you're going to be, um, you know, a lot of bloggers finally migrated to YouTube or Instagram or some kind of platform like that and, you know, had that personal following and then their business was just part of it, right? Their business was in the background, but essentially it was like, you're following Jill the person 
not necessarily the business, but you know, of course her business is tied to it. And so there's not a right or a wrong way to go about it. I would say it's, it's purely which one catches and what content catches. But I would say in a lot of cases, you know, you could potentially have a both so that people could find both or, or be able to see both. Mm -hmm. But maybe you, maybe you end up finding out your, your personal page just takes off. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that, that's, that, that shouldn't be a problem. Like there's, let Mm -hmm. that just be part of it. And you can drive people to that other page by every once in a while saying, Hey, if you're not following me on X, Y, Z, we're doing some really cool stuff over there. You should check it out. And just plugging that every once in a while, or it's, it's not even, it's not even doing that intently, just tagging your other account just so that, you know, you can literally say, um, you know, let's say you decide to do, um, a post, I don't know. Yeah. I'm having a hard time coming up with ideas right now. It's still super early, but if you were to do a, let's say you do a post, right. And it's just you out, you out, uh, moving fence and, Mm -hmm. You do a funny post about moving fence, and um, I'm, I'm actually stealing this from Alder Springs because they posted this uh, post about how they were um, moving poly wire through rattlesnake infested uh, sagebrush up on the mountain, right? And yeah. um, they're like, everybody wants the riding job, but nobody wants to come move poly wire in uh, rattlesnake infested um, mountains. Oh. And that that post, what's that? You know, I I saw that one. Yep, I know oh, what you're talking. You? Yep. And so, so that post was funny, right? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. Everybody wants to ride, but nobody wants to move poly wire in the middle of ten thousand feet and snakes everywhere. And that's true. That's a real thing. People can relate with that. Yep. And and let's say that was you, right? And all you do is say, um, everybody wants. To a riding job at Horseman Cattle Co. and you tag your actual mm-hmm. uh, account, um, but nobody wants to move Polywire or whatever, right? Yeah. And you're not you're not intentionally driving people there, but if they're like, "Oh, what's Horseman Cattle Co.?" and they click on it and they're interested and they like you, but they haven't followed Horseman Cattle Co. before. Yeah. Because they haven't been to your profile and they haven't actually, they just, you know, they decided to follow you off of another post or whatever. And, you know, now all of a sudden you've reintroduced them to your other profile and that's, you know, that's where business is done. Yet you curate most of your content on your personal profile. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And a lot of people do that. Yeah. Just so having I, them all work together. Yeah. Having them work together in most cases, you know, there's, there's probably going to be both profiles. Right. And, and that's okay. Like there's, there's no problem with that because in, in some cases, if you're growing an Instagram following, you're growing a persona or, and growing that persona is a great thing. And if more people relate to that and you can every once in a while trickle in horseman cattle co, um, great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay too. Cool. Um, 
I think we've covered quite a bit of the e-commerce side. Let's uh, circle over to the cowboy poetry. That's uh, your passion, right? Your mate. It is a passion for sure. Yep, it's how I uh, it's how I met Mel, uh, which is awesome, and uh, it's definitely something that uh, that helps me immerse myself into you know into a passion that i i really love and gets me to be able to rub shoulders with amazing people so yep how did you i mean were you always interested in cowboy poetry because or did you if correct me if i'm wrong you didn't grow up on a on a ranch or anything right no so i i grew up next to a farm okay yeah, so um, uh, I grew up next to a farm. My dad uh, grew up on a farm. His um, his dad, so my grandpa, uh, he actually passed away before I, I was born. But um, he was in the Navy, and uh, his uh, he was the captain of a destroyer that uh, survived Pearl Harbor. Wow. And um, when he... Uh, when he got out of the Navy, um, he didn't know what to do. Well, he, he kind of did because he'd gone to school for it, but essentially he became uh, an extension agent for uh, Cal State Berkeley and would go around to farms and help them with uh, crop growth and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all sorts of things. And so he, he had a really big agriculture background, ran sheep, on on uh, their farm there in Placerville, California, where my dad grew up, um, had fruit trees and all that stuff. And so, my dad actually moved to Utah. Um, eventually, was going to go to Utah State University, and he was going to uh, an ag business school, but decided to pivot mm-hmm. and didn't go down that path. And, uh, you know, in some ways he kicks himself and regrets that, but, um, in others, you know, life takes you the way it's supposed to. And he ended up where he did and doing what he was supposed to. But we, we did grow up next to a farm and I grew up with, I would say a rich heritage of Mm -hmm. agriculture. Um, and man, I've, even though I've done what I've done in my career, which I love and don't regret at all, I I have this consistent nag inside of me that's like, man, what's that like? Or how how do I how do I get into that lifestyle? So I've I've been consistently driven toward agriculture, and you know, I, right out of high school. Um, eh, not right out of high school, but about a year after high school, I proposed to my wife and two or a year later we were married and, um, and you know, I, I, I didn't go to school. I just jumped right into the workforce. I had no interest in going to school after high school. I didn't want to go to college. I just wasn't that way. Yeah. Um, I, in high school, I was dreaming of working the whole time. And, uh, and I just, I wanted to get, I wanted to get out of school and, 
I, you know, now if I was to go back to school, I would get an agriculture degree. That's what I would go to. Like I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't need to go back to school for marketing. Um, so I wouldn't go and get any degree that would associate with that. It's more of like, it'd be something that hopefully I, it is an interest in retirement or something like that after once I hit that point. Right. But agriculture has always been something that I've really been interested in. So I find my way into it in other ways than just my daily job. Yeah. Without owning <laughs> livestock or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's yep. probably smart without you're involved, but you don't have all the headache. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes for sure it's, I'm sure there's days where that's probably the right way. And then, you know, others I'm like, Oh man, yep. it's just, uh, it, it draws me for sure. So you, you found, I mean, is your, so your way in is through cowboy poetry is, or is that what it's always been? Or did you start, did you find something else first and it like just with reading, reading Westerns? Yeah, it's a good question. So that's also been a huge part of my life is, uh, I grew up, with a lot of westerns my whole life my dad my dad uh is a poet um i wouldn't say he only writes cowboy poetry because most of his poems are about his family um he wrote poems for every major event of our life pretty much mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, big big birthdays and graduations and um, you know, all sorts of things. And so he'd write us a poem in, in a form of a letter sometimes and things like that. And so we were just going through my dad's book of poems um, that my mom has, and it's literally in the hundreds. And um, and so he kind of did that for us throughout our life. And he always, he, he always leaned towards the cowboy poetry. But again, you write about what you know, right? And yeah. my dad grew up with agriculture but then once he exited that at 18 he didn't really have agriculture for you know the rest of his life and so you know you write about what you know in a lot of poetry and things like that and so you know he just didn't he didn't write quote unquote necessarily cowboy poetry but he loved it and uh you know that genre always stuck out to him and um when they went to uh so in 96, I can't remember what year it was, but one of their, one of their uh, anniversaries, they went out to Durango, Colorado, and he came back with um, Wally McCray's book. It's called Cow- Cowboy Curmudgeon. And uh, it's got a bunch of cowboy poetry in it. Uh, Wally, Wally McCray is a cowboy poet and, um, uh, I remember him coming home with that and it's a very specific, uh, book cover. It's a cowboy on the ground, uh, drinking coffee around a fire. And, um, and I just remember as a kid going and reading out of that book all mm-hmm. the time. And, uh, I would, um, you know, I'd, I'd sneak in and just read and, and, I wouldn't say sneak. There was no nothing that I needed to sneak, but I just <laughs> yeah. would go and read that book. Yep. And uh 
I loved it. And, um, you know, just, I didn't really understand a lot of it, but my dad, uh, would, would also just watch tons of Westerns. We'd watch all the John Waynes, of course. And he was just such a big fan. And so that was my core is, and my roots is I just had so much Western influence between, you know, watching movies with my dad at night. Um, and you know, these little things that would influence me like Wally McCray's book and, and things like that. Knew my dad was interested in cowboy poetry. Utah has had a long running um cowboy poetry gathering up in Heber. Um okay. really sadly, uh just found out about a week and a half ago that that one is actually going away, which is super devastating for cowboy poetry and Utah. Um, but that, uh, that gathering has been really popular. People come from all over the region to, to come to that cowboy poetry gathering. It's mostly because and you may know this, uh, because of your parents, but the bar J Wranglers always yep. came to, um, to Heber. That okay. was their thing is they go to the Heber Valley cowboy poetry gathering every year. And that was, if people weren't able to make it up into Jackson to go see the Bar J Wranglers, they would come to Heber to see the Bar J Wranglers. Do, do and you, so Bar J, what's that? Oh, do you know any of like? Do you know the Bar J Wranglers? Or I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen them. Oh yeah, I've seen them several times, but I don't. I don't personally know any of them. They're they're great dudes. I've met them, right? Shook their yep. hands and all that stuff, but but I I don't know any of them personally. They're good dudes, though. Really good guys. Yeah. So, um, sorry to interrupt. So anyway, oh, no, you're great. Yeah, so they, they would come to Heber Valley every year. And, of course, two years ago, they retired and uh, after a 40-plus year run, which is amazing. And yeah. uh, they've, you know, they've been really a big part of helping grow the genre because there's not – a lot of harmony groups like them, right? The Riders in the Sky and them are pretty much the ones that are left. Yeah. And uh, Riders in the Sky, you know, now are are still still going. Um, but Barjay Wranglers hung up the spurs and they're done for for the foreseeable future. So, um, so yeah, that that ended up hurting uh, Heber Valley, but kind of backing into that, like we knew about Heber and um, my dad had been to a couple night shows here and there, but um, kind of fast forwarding to 2017, 2017, um, I got a neighbor that uh, grew up in Elko and he grew up going to the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering every year. And, uh, he, um, moved in next door and we started talking and, you know, one day I asked him where he was headed. He was like, Oh, I'm headed out to the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering. And I was like, Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And I was like, tell me more. So he told me about it and we talked through it. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I think my dad would really love that. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you should, you should definitely come out. And so, we started talking through it a little bit more and, and come uh, 2018, cause you have to plan 
in advance to go to the Cowboy Poetry, especially back then. Um, it's making a resurgence now post COVID, which is amazing. But back then, you you had to book your rooms like a year in advance. Uh, oh, really? To be able to go to the Cowboy Poetry gathering, and so, um, so I was I was making plans to go to the 2019 Cowboy Poetry gathering. And uh, made plans with my dad, and and decided to go out to the to the gathering together. And honestly, I was doing it to support, support my dad. I was just like, I think my dad would love this. It's a way for us to get away <clears throat> for a weekend together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, I think this would be really fun. Um, and so you know, I figured I'd like it, but I had. I had zero expectations, I guess, is yeah. what I would say. So, you know, we hauled out to Elko, which is only about four hours from here, not too bad. And uh, got out to Elko, and then we walked in that first day, and I walked into our very first session, which was with uh, Andy Hedgets, who's yeah. now a good friend He's of mine. Podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, he's want- got the uh, Cowboy Crossroads podcast. Yep, I've um, listened to that. I haven't listened to it recently. I have listened to that before. Was listened pretty regularly, actually. Uh, oh man, his podcast is so well done and well put together, and he pours his heart and soul into gathering cowboys and ranchers and poets and artists. Yeah, uh, stories and curating them, and man, bless his heart, he's got he's got a pretty long list of folks that have passed away on his list of coming up on a hundred episodes now, um, and it's just so great that he's been able to capture their stories before they have passed away, <clears throat> and so it's the work he's doing is super important for cowboy culture. Uh, Western culture uh, to boot. It's just really he's his work is is awesome, and he's got he's got a good following of people that love it and uh, people that support him, which has been great. And uh, man, his his content is just so good. But he uh, he was in that first session, and Ross Knox, and uh, oh man, I'm trying to remember if it was R. P. Smith. I can't remember who all was in that first session. I mostly remember Andy because he was the very first one that got up and he did this poem and I thought it would be people getting up and reading poems. I had no idea it was people getting up and reciting poems that they had memorized. And he got up and recited this poem called From Town. And I was blown away. It's like a six-minute poem, um, which is quite a bit to memorize. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's got some illustrious wording and things like that inside of it. And I was like just completely captivated by this poem and blown away. And he got up and sing cowboy song after that and then got up and did another poem and got up and sing another cowboy song and I was like wow this is like not anything like I thought and then we walked into a our next one and it was Andy Hedges and Jake Riley 
and uh, Jake Riley is a poet that's uh, these two are closer to my age, right? Um, Jake's probably a little bit closer. Uh, Andy's mid forties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm turning 38 this year, which is crazy, but, um, I was expecting a bunch of 65 year olds Yeah, and, and these two were closer to my age and I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, these guys are, you know, they're inc- absolutely incredible artists. And, uh, Jake Riley in the next one. So Andy got up and he did a poem or a song and then Jake got up and Jake recited the man from snowy river. And I had no idea it was a pose, but I've watched, I watched that movie probably once a week with my dad as a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, just absolutely loved that movie, but had no idea it was a poem because, I didn't read the beginning of the movie. If you if you read the beginning of the movie, it actually says it's based on a poem, um, which is which is funny. But um, but yeah, the uh, the the man from Snowy River is uh, written by Banjo Patterson. It's a poem by Banjo, and it is seriously an incredible poem. And um, he did that poem with. Uh, uh, he's from, I think he's in Nebraska or Colorado. He's on either on the border in one of those states. I can't remember where Jake is, but he's not from Australia. But he did it in an Australian accent um, and recited this poem. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the Man from Snowy River poem is, again, another six to nine minute poem. So it is not short. They're They're not these... You know, you just remember 20 lines. They're, they're long poems. Yeah. And uh, I, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, I just couldn't believe how this whole genre was here. And I'm a pretty artistic person as well. Um, I, love, I love poetry. I love art. I love digital art. Um, I've always loved Western culture art. I love landscape art. I'm just it's such a, it's a big part of who I am. And to watch these artists get up on stage and watch them perform, I was, I couldn't believe it. And I was super hooked that first year. That next year, um, I was trying to find as much as I could. I was, I literally in six months binged uh, a podcast a day with my dad, I would wake up, send him a podcast and we listen to it together. He's older. So I'd have, I'd have to send him the, the link, you know, directly. He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to go into podcasts and find it himself, but I'd send him a link and we would, we would listen to the podcast from Andy and then we'd talk about it, you know, and we'd listen to all these poets and these cowboys and, um, you know, horsemen and all of these things. And I, we were just like, we were so sucked into the culture and the genre because it, it literally was for me, it was like this missing piece of my life that I, I found and I couldn't believe how incredible it was. And the people that you get to rub shoulders with as part of that, it's, it's, you literally feel like this, this, extended family because you know it's like-minded folks that are interested in 
you know, the culture, interested in driving the culture. They don't want this genre to die at all. And they're wanting to come and support it to its fullest degree. And uh, so, yeah, man, I was, I was suckered in. I, uh, we went to the uh, 2019 and then we went to 2020 and it was the January before the March. March is when everything got shut down for COVID, but yeah. it was the January and, and uh, um, we went to those two and man, it was just literally, I, I mean, I tell people this, but it was literally life changing for me. I couldn't believe um, that there was this culture out there that I was missing. And so that, that, instance that small instance is what drove me into a culture that eventually found my way to um you know personally becoming friends with with andy hedges and yeah uh, eventually mal right i met mal through that too as well so i see and uh i'm gonna like i guess start from the very beginning why cowboy poetry like what like there's to my knowledge there's no other i guess would you say occupation <laughs> followed by the word poetry it's not like carpenter poetry yeah. or farmer poetry like do do you know like why cowboys started writing poetry yeah i do actually so um, it's a good question that gets joked about all the time, right? Like there's no fireman poetry or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's cowboy poetry. Why is there the, why is there a cowboy poetry genre? And, uh, the answer is convoluted. Um, but as you get into the cowboy poetry culture, um, the reason being is because there were, there were poets that were cowboys um and uh and also um a lot of people ask why why were cowboys why all of a sudden did cowboys decide to be poets you know like yeah how come how come this even became a thing and if you just kind of think about what uh what it represents um when Clear back in the day, right, 1800s, when um, cowboys were out working trail drives and, and uh, you know, basically um, trying to support uh, themselves and, and, you know, obviously uh, trying to support the herds and drive the herds and things like that, um, they would work on these big outfits right mm -hmm. and so the the history of of working those outfits you know that most of the time it's where the term drifting cowboy comes from right they would drift from outfit to outfit and uh you know they'd work on a big ranch in texas and then they'd move up to montana or you know nevada or where you know there's there's rich heritage of big outfits everywhere, but they would go from outfit to outfit. And what ended up happening is 
they would hear these stories when they're sitting around the campfire at the end of the night. People would tell stories, and they're usually in poetry form. And and a lot of those stories um, started at, out as classical poetry, um, like Robert Frost and things like that. That um, that were a lot more classic, and then people started to just tell these stories. Um, that ended up kind of morphing a little bit. So these stories could be in poetry form. So you could tell a story just verbally, or you could sing a story, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they would sing these old classic songs, and that's where a lot of the classic songs come from as well. So like Little Joe the Wrangler, right? Yep. And if you if you listen to... Uh, if you look at listen to the backstory, so Andy Hedges just recorded Little Joe the Wrangler with Core Blunt, and you told me you were going to see Core Blunt. Yep. Um, or already did. Yep. Did you already see him? I saw him. Cor Corb's amazing. Um, so he recorded Little Joe the Wrangler with Corb, and if you listen to his podcast uh, that talks about um, each song that he recorded on this new album. Uh, Corb talks about how little his version of Little Joe the Wrangler um, has Canadian influence because that's where he's from, right? He's up from Alberta, yeah. And uh, his version of Little Joe the Wrangler had some some Canadian influence. So, you know, they they would take out maybe some of the Texan um, version of Little Joe the Wrangler and put more Canadian influence and so um when corbin andy recorded little joe the wrangler they used a little bit of uh texan influence they used some marty robbins influence and then they also used um some of corb's influence on the canadian side to, to create the lyrics for that song and, and, and influence and, your meaning like descriptive characteristics of Pers of like the music though or just like just details yeah like like changing i, I don't know a, um i can't think of an example specific to that song that they changed uh a lyric of but it, like you know the what every everybody especially in the cowboy culture they have different words for different things right yeah and uh um so it would be so like it, taking a Texan phrase or like a Texan like a straw hat or something, and then you know put maybe making it a felt hat or something for colder weather, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, little things like that, right? I mean the, the um. So you've you've heard how the have you heard how the term buckaroo came to be? I I don't know how it came to be. No. But so I've heard, they've, what is it called, Buckaroo Man? Yep, Buckaroo Man, yep, there's there's puns. So Buckaroo is like the the Nevada term for cowboy, essentially, right? Well, I shouldn't say just Nevada. It's really the uh, northwestern and western term for cowboy is they, they, coin, they call themselves a lot of cases Buckaroos and all the way up into Canada. So I shouldn't Oh, say is that right? The, so it's just a regional thing, but so like yeah, in Wyoming, are they buckaroos or cowboys? 
no, no, those are cow pokes. Those are cowboys cow. for sure. Yeah. So then, yeah. so you have to you have to get to Western Utah, and a lot of it's Nevada, right? To, Nevada would be yeah. Where there is. Nevada, I, yeah, Nevada for sure, um, and uh, and really a lot of that region, northwestern region, and then California for sure. I mean, folks definitely call themselves or or call each other buckaroos in that region, and you know, buckaroo is again just another term for a cowboy. But where it came from is the term vaquero. And vaquero, um, again, is Spanish for cowboy. Yep. And va- vaquero is a culture, a tradition, right? And uh, a heritage as well. And vaqueros would call each other vaqueros. And, and, the, and the white guys would hear them say vaquero, but they had no idea what they were saying. So they butchered it and came up with um, buckaroo. And it's just like the same thing with Macardi or Macate, right? And um, they literally, it's like, it's purely because they butchered the language. <laughs> they ended up coming up with these terms I and see. using these these terms. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, it, essentially it's it's because of that. Um, because of that, that's that's kind of how that started to spread. Is it, you know, people would take and regionalize or tweak those songs or those poems just slightly, and you would get a variation, and they would just make it unique and to them just slightly, and they would pass these stories from each other, and that's how that's why we have so many different versions of the classics like you know uh you know little joe the wrangler and and so many others that are out there and so there's um they would regionalize these songs and they would pass these stories from cowboy to cowboy and they would go from outfit to outfit sharing stories sharing poems Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases poems started as songs or songs started as poems vice versa and they would just get shared from cowboy to cowboy and they go from outfit to outfit sharing these stories and the the uh um the genre kind of continued to flourish because of that and so um there was actually a uh, Andy talked about this in, in one of his podcasts, uh, but um, there's a gentleman named uh, John Lomax who went and found out this was happening and found out there were so many stories and songs being told that he wanted to curate all those into a book. And so he literally quit his job, what he was doing, and, and went from outfit to outfit uh trying to curate all of these. And the reason that I know about this one is uh, he, Andy specifically talks about um, John Lomax originally started uh, his whole adventure of trying to find these songs and curate all these songs and put them into book format 
because of the song Dodge and Joe. He had heard um, uh, a black cowboy talking about or uh, seeing Dodge and Joe, and uh, he re- was able to write down uh, two of the verses, and then he wanted to go and try and collect all the verses to the song and ended up finding all these other songs and in the long run ended up not collecting any other verses to Dodge and Joe. Um, but Andy just recorded a version of Dodge and Joe that he um, uh, set to music and, and also uh, created some additional verses of Dodge and Joe to make his own song, which is on his newest album, which is really cool. It's uh, um, it's a, it's a really, really great album if you haven't listened to it, but um kind of backing into the why cowboy poetry right mm-hmm. well the reason that the cowboy poetry happened is because these cowboys at night would sit around the campfire with literally nothing else to do or in a lot of co- there's there's i don't know if you've heard but there's like um there's songs they're called like night herding songs yeah um and and it's because the cowboys, when when they would sit in the the remuda, or when they would they would uh, have to do night watch, right, to make sure there was no predators coming around or no rustlers or anything like that, they would have night watch and they would sing to the cows. And in a lot of cases, you know, there's tons of stories about how these cows would get used to the songs and they'd actually stay really calm and they would stay right in the same area as these cowboys would sing to the, to the cows, to the cattle. And, uh, so they, you know, cowboys learned these songs so that they could pass them around to each other and be able to sing them. And, and, you know, literally out of, in some cases boredom, but nothing else to do, you know, they, they, they needed something to do. And so they would pass these stories along from one to another. And if they happened to have a, a a guitar, they'd accompany it with music. If not, they would share it in the spoken word of, of poetry and they'd share those stories in that way. And, you know, poetry, like it's, it's absolutely music in its own way. And, um, and you know people really catch on and latch on to that and tell stories in this really artistic way and uh and again people you know backing up to my comments earlier with my dad people write about what they know right mm-hmm. and so these cowboys would sing and and pass along these stories and songs and poetry and song form and then they'd be like, Hey, I could write my own. And with not much to do other than watching cows and sitting around a campfire at night, they would write their own or they'd, they'd come up with their own and memorize it and share that story. And then so on and so forth. And that just, it just became this thing where all of a sudden this new story was born and they would, uh, they would share that story and a cowboy would memorize it. He'd take it to a new outfit. He'd share that story. And, and and that's literally where a, a ton of these classic stories and songs came from was cowboys with not much else to do than sit around a campfire at night sharing stories and, and uh, singing songs. And 
because, um, you know, you write about what you know, that's essentially how we got this cowboy poetry format, why there's so many poems about cowboys is because they wrote about what they knew, right? What they mm-hmm. saw, what they, what happened to them, the wreck that, that happened to them, you know, uh, the pissed off bronc they rode that day and all, all sorts of, of different stories that have to do with cattle. So. Hmm. Pretty neat. Have you, Yeah. do you ride them then? Um, I don't write, I, I wouldn't say I, I don't write cowboy poetry. I've, I've got a few poems that I wrote. And again, you write based on experiences and stories. So one of mine is, uh, a poem about my first time going to Alaska mm-hmm. and uh-huh. going fishing. And, uh, I had a really crazy experience happen to me up there. Um, and you know, Knowing, knowing now what I didn't know then, um, I was totally fine. But at the time, I thought I was dying. So, you know, it's it's a funny poetry. It's a it's a funny poem, but a serious poem at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I wrote about that experience and that story. Um, I've got you know a couple other poems that I've wrote for my dad, and a poem that I wrote about. Uh, fireplace that you know the fireplace was like such a core part of my childhood and so there's just like random poems that I've written but I'm I'm like I'm a perfectionist by nature and so poems are pretty hard for me to write I love doing them but I'm like committed and I'm also once I've started it I can't stop so I'm like I'll shoot a whole day and writing poems they don't come to me easy like they do others i've got some poetry friends and things like that that they have to work on it but they come a lot easier than they do me i have to i have to work pretty hard at it but um but yeah i i do enjoy writing i love consuming more than writing i would say i love reading uh poetry and reading books and uh listening to stories and songs i'm a i collect vinyl too so i love collecting the old cowboy stuff that i can find and um and uh listening to that so that's uh it's definitely a, a big part of it as well cool do you have a like a favorite artist currently like i'm sure you go like it changes as you uh you know just as you hear poems and stuff like that, but currently is there like a, a favorite poet or musical artist that you're just going to cue when you, when you start your day? Oh man, that's so hard. Favorites are tough for me. I, um, I wouldn't necessarily say I have, I have a lot of favorites. Um, I, I really enjoy, of a pretty large breadth of music and poetry. And um, I, I personally, I love Andy Hedges stuff a lot just because he does classical cowboy stuff. Yeah. Um, and most of his, you know, poems and stories, he, he 
anything that he produces typically is built off of something in history, which is super cool. And, and I love that because it may be unique and unique to him because he set it to music because it didn't have music or, or things like that. Um, and so I, I, I love Andy for that reason. Like he, his favorite, my favorite song that he, um, that he produces called shadow of cowboy. And it's, it's, uh, also the, the title of one of his albums, but, um, <laughs> that song, that song is super special to me. And, uh, it's, if you listen to the lyrics, um, it's got a really great message. So I, I like a lot of Andy's stuff. Um, but, you know, I like a ton of, I like a ton of stuff that's out there. So. Cool. Well, I really appreciate it. I'm not sure if you've got anything else to, you want to share. We're at a hour and a half. Um, yeah, no. Um, I just appreciate it. I, yeah, I love, uh, I love talking marketing and I absolutely love, um, cowboy poetry and, and the heritage and regenerative agriculture. And, you know, I've been able to get into it more because of Mal and, uh, Mal brought me out when he was doing some of his stock density uh -huh. stuff and, and showed me what he was doing with that. And he actually got me onto, uh, uh, dirt to soil. I read that Gabe Brown book a couple years ago and, and, uh, um, loved it. And, um, you know, Mal, Mal has kind of taken me under his wing and, and showed me the ways of regenerative agriculture and got me onto a lot of podcasts, including yours. And, uh, and I just have really, really enjoyed this culture and, and what everybody is trying to do to produce better food in a better way. And, um, and so honestly, I would just say thank you and thank you to all of your listeners because chances are if, uh, they're listening, they're probably on the regenerative side or trying to be right. Interested in, in knowing that there's a better way and, um, and stock producers are, uh, having a little bit of a resurgence right now, which is great. Um, but also it's, one of the hardest jobs in the world, I would say, and, and tough to, to make it profitable. And hence the reason, uh, you know, ranching for profit even exists and things like that, because, you know, it, it needs to be, it needs to be there because it's such a, it's such a, a tough nut to crack, especially in a market that so many, you know, outside things are driving costs up and, and uh creating it super hard so i would say to everybody you know thank you for all that you do and you guys have some of the hardest jobs in the world and and uh and it may it's really difficult to to um find the right way to be able to be profitable and and so just really grateful for 
all that you guys do and, and uh, grateful for the opportunity to be able to learn. So, yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate your time. Um, one thing, my, one of my favorite books, if you haven't read it is uh, cattle kingdom by Christopher Nolting. I think you, if you I haven't, haven't. I haven't. I haven't read that one. Cattle Kingdom. Yep. I'll get that one on my list. Yeah, I think that would be right up uh, your alley on some of the stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's more cattle drive from the late 1800s, you know, the cattle boom. So Very cool. Yeah, no. Very I, cool. Uh, I appreciate your time and... um. And your knowledge, especially on the the marketing side, too, you know, that's from a ranching for profit standpoint and regenerative side. I mean, sales is, you know, ultimately what keeps keeps it keeps us going. Right. It is. Yeah, it's we uh, we use the phrase um, revenue is fuel. Right. Yeah. And the more fuel that you have, you can fuel a lot of things. You can fuel, you know, obviously your own personal needs, but you can fuel additional marketing. You can fuel, um, uh, uh, I mean, potentially being able to buy more stock, more land if you want to, so that you can expand, provide more jobs, right? And so to me, that's why, that's why I'm like so interested in regenerative agriculture and driving the education around it and trying to get, you know, anybody that I talk to exposed to it as well, because there is a better way, like your food being produced in a feedlot that, you know, there's a hundred thousand cows there sucking fecal dust and, you know, and you're consuming that in the long run compared to, you know, a steer that was raised on, raised on grass and taken care of by someone who actually cares about them. And, you know, uh, there's just a better way. Right. And that, that's the, that's the thing to me that is the driving force is I I get the opportunity to learn from, you know, your podcasts and other podcasts and Mal and and I just I I it's so hard for me because I want the rest of the world to realize how bad some of the food is that they're consuming and that there is actually a better way if they. Uh, if they're interested, you know, and some people aren't interested, they don't care. They just care about it being the cheapest. And yeah, it's, and that's, that to me is not the right way. Yeah. And that's the, that's the issue, right? It's, but it goes way further than, than that, right? It's the way, uh, it's advertised and kind of the lack of knowledge on new proper nutrition and, you know, big pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's a, it's a whole, whole deal to just unpack, right? Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you, you unpack all, all of those things. It gets really hairy when you realize maybe that there's a, there's a bigger driving force in why, 
you know. Yeah, and it basically why big, big, yeah. It basically comes down to uh, you know all goes back to big pharma. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's why you have big farming is <laughs> to drive big pharma, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's scary, like especially being a parent, you want your kids to. You know, you're you're forced to uh, you're forced into fast food in some cases, right? Because some options that's the only way. But man, as a parent, to me, it's like, how do I offset all of that with making sure that you know the majority of what they have is good food and non-GMO and and you know grass raised and and finished and all that stuff to make sure that they're at least getting a good portion of the, the food that they're consuming is raised in the proper way, you know? And, yeah. and it's, it's crazy to just to, once you come to the realization of what's happening and uh, that, that to me is what, that's the driving force for me is why I want to educate so many others is I want people to realize how important it is for us to, to support regenerative agriculture folks and and so that's a big part of my mission for the foreseeable future is is trying to help people with that that's why i love i think i mentioned to you this before the the storytelling side of it of marketing is my favorite that's that's what i love i mm-hmm. love telling people stories because that's ultimately what a lot of people care about you know uh is is the stories and the stories allow you to be able to to drive that education into people and be able to give them uh, that story. And, and, you know, it could be really hard uh, to do and, and feels like a ton to do, especially when you are a, a one person, two person show, you know? And, and so that to me is why I'm like, so determined to do something to support and help regenerative agriculture is because I, I really want, uh, I want folks to know that there's a better way and we need to, the only way that we're going to do that is taking market share away from as much as possible because it's going to be really hard, but taking market share away from the big corporations and big conglomerates and giving it to, you know, folks like yourself that are doing it the right way. Yeah, starts with marketing, right? Starts with marketing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Marketing, uh, marketing is a big part of it. Absolutely, telling that story. Yep. Um, where can people find you? Uh, if you want to be found, good question. Yeah, I guess. Oh no, I'm I'm absolutely, absolutely fine with being found. Um, you can call me directly. Um, my phone number is 801-830-4746. Uh, be happy to chat. And um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is the SEO cowboy. So the SEO cowboy. That was a phrase that uh, one of my clients gave me because I wear a cowboy hat to work every day. Like I said, I try to indoctrinate my agency and the rest of everybody that I work with. <laughs> Even though I'm not a cowboy, I do not claim to be a cowboy. That is reserved for cowboys. Um, <laughs> but if I am anything, I'm an SEO cowboy, which is, you know, marketing, 
and uh, um, and so I'm on Instagram as the SEO Cowboy. Also on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, uh, as the SEO Cowboy as well. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm not, uh, I'm not hiding. So Facebook, but yeah, I'm happy to talk. Oh yeah, Facebook. Yep, I have that as well. So Facebook is, I think it's. It might be the S of Cowboy, but no, it is. But uh, also as uh, Bo Graves. So. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me on. I know it's, it's definitely a much different podcast than the rest of the podcasts you've had, but hopefully someone uh, finds some nuggets in it. And uh, if you want to learn more or know more, or if there's anything that I can help, uh, do you can also shoot me an email um if you'd like to and we can we can chat so i'd be more than happy to sounds good i'll probably just have you text over all your handles and where you want to be found and then i can just put those right in the show notes page okay that sounds great that works sweet well thanks for your time thank you august appreciate it yep we'll talk at you later